Thanks for joining us on the Oasis Church Podcast. To find out more about Oasis, visit CelebrateTheJourney.org. During this episode, Pastor Dennis Ritchie shares a great message that will lead you to new and deeper levels with Jesus Christ. So open up a Bible, grab a notebook, or simply listen along. type of thing, um, but many of you know uh, Robin Freeman, and she still is battling her cancer. She's still on this journey of, of um, we're, we're praying for a miracle. We're praying for healing, uh, but yesterday she was uh, taken to the hospital by ambulance. She was uh, suffering from some type of um, uh, vomiting and nausea and a lot of pain that she was in, uh, but she's home now, and, she, and she's resting, um, but uh, I thought maybe we could just take a few minutes and, and just pray for her, just lift her up. Um, and, and it'll be a good reminder for all of us that, that she's still in it and, um, and she's still kind of trying to move forward through it. And she still has a tremendous spirit about her that she trusts God, like no matter what, she, she trusts that God has got this. And so if we would, just, just a few minutes, just to pray for her and lift her up and, and she might even be watching this morning and just to encourage her um, because that's what we are as the church, we're to encourage um, one another and maybe she wasn't watching. <laughs> if you've noticed, um, our world is in a funky place right now. And um, now we're seeing places of worship kind of um, coming under assault and being attacked. Uh, predominantly um, in Catholicism because they do, um, they have uh, symbols, icons, statues and things. And they're being, you know, statues of Jesus are being beheaded. Um, statues of the, the Virgin Mary are being uh, lit on fire. And so there's a real, um, there, there seems to be a gaining traction for, um, you know, the Christian faith to become targeted. Um, my son, Ethan, who some of you know, he's on his way to Gordon College uh, next month. In fact, August 9th, you could be here because Jilly Bean is headed to Messiah and Ethan's headed north. And so we want to pray for them and send them off with love and blessing and, and cover them in prayer. But I digress. Um, my son is in uh, a bunch of chat rooms with uh, some of the students, some of the freshman students that are going to Gordon. And one of the students' grandfather uh, living in Virginia uh, was at his church with the pastor. And a man walked into that church bent on killing a pastor and stabbed both the pastor and his grandfather. And that took place either, he's not sure, yesterday or, or Friday sometime. And so maybe we can just pray for a couple minutes, um, not only for our country, um, but for the church that we are going to stand firm on the word of Christ no matter what. That we are not going to live in fear, uh, but we that, that the spirit of God would come upon us and that we would be bold, bolder, in the face of opposition, and um, we'll see maybe even persecution coming down the road. So why don't we just take a minute and pray for that. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. All right, so, you know, self-help is all the rage. Um, it's all about bettering yourself. And there are books and programs and philosophies. And you can go online and everybody 
wants you to be slim and trim and, and a better person. And uh, if you've ever, you remember bookstores, like those places that had books, those things bound with stuff and there was paper? Oh, I remember bookstores. I used to love just to smell the new books. Just, okay, I'm weird. But anyway, um, but one of the things that the whole self-help movement uh, is looking to do is to build people's self-confidence. And self-confidence is, is a good thing. Self-confidence is uh, what has um, uh, encouraged people inwardly to kind of face the challenges of life, to move through, to, to understand that, um, that, that you, have, you have worth just because of who you are, not necessarily what you do or your family of origin. Um, self-confidence is... Um, can be and usually is a very good thing. But, but self-confidence can turn bad because it can uh, morph into, if not checked, morph into something that I like to call a self-arrogance. This, this idea that it's all about me. Um, I can become very easily full of myself. I can believe that I don't need anyone. I don't need anything. I don't need help from you. I got this all myself. Um, and so just... Leave me alone. We're in New England here, the frozen chosen. Give me some distance. Social distancing in a self-arrogant way can be a very dangerous thing. Um, And that danger of that arrogance isn't just for the people out there. It can very easily creep its way into the church. And not that it separates us from the love of God, uh, but it can uh, put some distance between us. Um, from the power of God, the moving of the Spirit, uh, the, the ears that can hear what the Spirit says, eyes that can see into the spiritual realm. This arrogance just kind of, kind of almost shuts down or, or separates us from what God would have. Because we don't need God. We have me or you have you. And so we can move in this arrogance very, very easily. Now, this idea of having it all together, not needing anything, this is the message that Jesus is going to speak to the last church on our list, the church of Laodicea. Um, and it seems that this church held a, a, uh, a very high regard for itself, that, um, that they didn't need anything, they didn't need anybody, they weren't really being persecuted in the city, they felt like they had this Jesus thing and this church thing, they had it all together, and don't bother us, we're good to go. Jesus is going to correct that notion. Now the city itself, Laodicea, um, during its uh, time, during the time of the church that uh, John is writing to, or that Jesus is writing through John, uh, it, was a, it was the wealthiest city in all of the region. Uh, they had a textile industry. Um, they would uh, raise sheep, and the sheep would have a, a soft, uh, glossy black wool. And this made them a lot of money. They sold this stuff all around the world. Uh, they also had a medical school. And this medical school would attract people from around the known world. They would be trained. But they came up with two different kinds of medicine. They came up for a, with a medicine that, that would you put in your ear so you can, I don't know, hear better, I guess. And they also came up with an eye salve. Um, and it was made with Phrygian powder. And they mixed it with schmutz. And they would put it on eyes to help weak eyes. But this stuff made, them, again, made them a lot of money. And they would send it out to the, around the world. And people would 
pay uh, top dollar for it. In fact, this city was in so much, bringing in so much money that the banking industry moves in because they can see that there's things to invest in. There's profits and losses to be taken care of. And this brought more people into the city and it brought more wealth into the city. And so it was considered a very, very self-sufficient, wealthy place to live. One of the problems that the city had was it was prone to earthquakes uh, like Philadelphia was. And so in 60 AD, a major earthquake hit, wiped out the entire city. But because they were so wealthy and there were families that were so wealthy, they didn't have to go to Rome to figure out or to get money so they can rebuild. They raised the funds all themselves and they rebuilt the city. And from what some historians say, the city was rebuilt Uh, much more lavishly than before it was destroyed. They are self-sufficient. They have the self-confidence that city didn't need anything or anyone except water. They had no ample supply of water, and so the water had to be piped in through aqueducts into the city, and Jesus is going to use that point as a, as a point of correction for the church. And so let's, we're just going to read the whole, uh, whole bunch of verses, and then we'll pick it apart. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds and that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because, because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I've acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and wear white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and and have salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Verse 14, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness. There's a lot going on in here. Again, Jesus, as he addresses the church, he addresses them in a way that caused, uh, that, that um, points to a relevance of him in the life of the church. In the description here, Jesus is, um, he is the amen. Amen is a term used uh, for something being valid or true or respectable, or you can count on it. And when it's used to describe a person, it brings to the forefront uh, this very um, important characteristic of of describing that person as being, um, you should listen to the words they say. They have a grasp on what is really taking place. They can speak into it. In fact, the second statement he says, the faithful and true witness kind of kind of props up this idea of, of amen. Um, 
there is no deceit in Christ. There is no embellishment in Christ. There is no lying in Christ. His words are true. And he wants to make sure that as he speaks to this church, he has nothing good to say to them. He has nothing to congratulate them on. Everything is, is negative. Everything is in correction. And so when Jesus says, I am the amen, I am faithful and true, I am a faithful and true witness, that means pay attention, church, because what I'm about to say is truth. You can count on it and you can bet on it. It would seem that through this self-confidence of the people in the city, which has infiltrated into the church, this self-confidence has grown into a place of arrogance spiritual arrogance. Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, not cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now that's not a good place for a church to be when Jesus says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. So this idea of hot and cold and lukewarm, I learned another word for lukewarm this morning. It was nukewarm. I'm not quite sure that kind of coincides with what lukewarm is here. But, um, you know, I'm open to learning new things. But again, I'm digressing. Um, so close to the city of Laodicea, there's an um, a, a area called the Heropolis, and there's a city called Alicus in there. And it's known for its medicinal hot springs. People would just kind of sit in them and bake in this hot mineral water. Um, and it was supposed to, it was supposed to heal. Now, as these springs would bubble up, they would run down a, a stream over a waterfall. And there was, um, historians say that there's just beautiful mineral deposits that are being made as the water cools. Because as it cooled, as it became lukewarm, it lost its medicinal properties. Now, again, in the in the location of Laodicea, there was another city, Colossae. Uh, Paul wrote a letter to the Colossian church. But this city was known for its pure, cold drinking water. And so they, at times, were aqueducting this water into the city. But if they didn't do it correctly, that water would become warm. And it was just had a, a, a nasty taste. Can you imagine drinking warm tap water, for instance? It's kind of ew. And so Jesus is calling attention to this, um, this water situation in the city. He says, you're neither hot, you're neither cold, but you're lukewarm. Now, this lukewarmness shouldn't be um, directed towards the, the individual spiritual fervor of people. Because I would think that if, if you would want somebody, we say, on fire for the Lord, and that would be hot. And, and, and so Jesus would wish that they were either hot or cold, but cold, somebody that's just cold towards the Lord doesn't sound right. So it's not talking about our, our passion or our spiritual fervor for serving the Lord. What he, is, what he is calling attention to is that the church being all caught up in itself, being comfortable where it is, not or believing they don't need anything or anyone from anybody um, in their self-sufficiency, they became arrogant and they became blind to the plight of anyone and everyone around them. It was just all about them. And so in that comfort, in that self-sufficiency, God says, you, as, as, as the waters, the cruel waters of 
Colossae come to you and bring you refreshment. You as a church, you bring no spiritual refreshment to anyone. You're missing the point. You know, in the context of of Christian community, of the church community, we need to be able to build each other up. We need to to be able to speak words of encouragement, speak words of, of faith and truth and help and come alongside the brothers and sisters. It's it's important that that we gather in this way, not just on Sunday mornings, but but out there we gather together because when we do, we can hear the stories, the same stories of the things that we may be going through. We are not in this battle alone. We have each other, and we have similar experiences. We have similar hurts. We have similar um, uh, uh, pains and brokenness. Knowing that you can walk through the doors of a building, and people know your name, and people know who you are, and people might share the things that you're going through, be able to speak with you. There's something refreshing about that, to know that you're not in this alone, that there are people with you, that people that want to travel with you through this, whatever journey you're going through. And because of that situation, there, there is a, a spiritual refreshing that takes place to know you're not alone. I mean, if it's as simple as that, I am not alone. I have brothers and sisters around me that care about me and that love me. It's a spiritual refreshment. The church in Laodicea was not offering that to anyone because they didn't need anyone because they had it all together. They had money and wealth and and everything they thought they needed. The hot waters, the, the medicinal hot springs, people would soak in them and supposedly heal skin diseases, rashes, um, aches, pains. This church in Laodicea that Jesus is calling out, they offered no spiritual healing for anyone. I've had the opportunity to speak to a lot of people in my, my life and, and, and in many different countries. And, and there's this, there's a stream that I, I see. Um, when people are hurt in the context of their community of faith, those are some of the deepest hurts humanly possible. Because church is supposed to be a safe place, a place of hope, a place uh, to, to be built up. And some of those hurts run very, very deep. So deep, in fact, that I've seen people walk away not only from the church, but from God. If that's what God is about, you keep them, I'm going over here. And then just think about life. Just think about the friends that you have, the neighbors that you have who, who maybe aren't Jesus followers or, or, or don't go to church. Man, life will thump you up uh, no matter how tough that you think you are. You're always, you're always going to come into some type of tension, some type of challenge in life. And the church needs to be a place of healing and hope for those on the outside that we can invite them in and tell them there is a God who loves you so much, sent his son to die for you on the cross. And there is a God that says, you don't have to just survive this life. You can thrive. My son came to give you life and give it to you in abundance. And that abundance should flow from us to cause, to help, to share the healing of the cross with him with a dying, dying world. 
The church needs to be a place of refreshment. The church needs to be a place of, of healing. The Laodicean church was neither. And Jesus is telling them, man, you got to get it together or I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. My presence will no longer be with you. This church was all about me. I, I want, I want, I have. I don't need you. I have me. And then he continues again in, in verse 17. You say, I'm rich. This is the church speaking. I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. That is not a good description of a church. You know, there's this, this premise at times where um, uh, wealth and material things that we acquire is God's favor upon your life. And that may be true, but see, the flip side of that coin is if you don't have all the, uh, the bells and the whistles and the gadgets and the money, then obviously you're done, you've done something wrong and you've fallen out of favor with the Lord and you might just be in sin. You have because you are, uh, you're out of God's favor and those that do have, well, obviously they are in God's favor. But that is not, that is not necessarily the truth. You can be poor, uh, materialistically poor, and still the favor of the Lord will rest upon you. You can be rich, a bazillionaire, and the favor of the Lord does not rest upon you. And so this church, they said, man, we, we, we got all we need. But what's funny is they, they consider themselves as having God's favor, but yet all of that, all they possess, they say, well, look what we've done. We've earned this. We have built our businesses. We, we yes, we have God's favor, but we did this all by ourselves. Look at all the money we have. Look at all the stuff that we have. They see themselves one way. Jesus sees them exactly the opposite. Wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. My goodness, I would rather have, I would rather live in the street than be considered that by Jesus. But this idea of wealth, of stuff, it can be a real problem for the church in the West today. Because we have stuff. We have air conditioning. Thank God. But I remember preaching, and, and Mike was there, in a church in Africa, in, the, in Maasai land, in Kenya. And it's 100 degrees outside, and they have a tin roof. You want sweat? Mm-hmm. And, and just so you know, the people who live in the bush in Africa, um, there's no deodorant. We have it really good here. We have things. We have a sound system. We, have, we can put the words up there. We woke up this morning, many of us, in air-conditioned rooms, and we had cold water from the tap or in the refrigerator that you've already purified out of your, your water filter. We had food on the table. We have electricity. The lights go on and off with just a little switch. And we have jobs that pay us money so we can buy these things. See, wealth can be problematic, not Always is, but can be problematic in the church. I, I make, you can see what I make earn online. Um, I don't make a lot of money. But if you go to certain websites, I typed in my salary for the year. 
And at my salary, I, am, I make more than 92% of the people in the world. 92%. So there is only 7% of the world that makes more money than I do. We have it pretty good. But our comfort can be dangerous in the context of faith because our comfort can be uh, we, we just add God and our relationship with him to all the other things we have going on in life. And so we have this pool of priority. And there's not one that outweighs the other. It's just the, the priority pool. And God is part of that. But see, our priority should be our relationship with him. First and foremost, And everything else, every priority that we have needs to be filtered through that relationship with him. That's that's putting God first and putting all this other stuff behind us as, um, yes, it's a blessing. We have them. Great. But if that was all taken away, would you be miserable? Would you be sad? Is God enough for you? Is the cross enough for you? Is your forgiveness enough for you? Or do you need to add stuff to it? Because Honestly, everything that we own one day is going to be in a landfill. Our homes, our cars, our furniture, it all eventually will go away. Is God enough? Is he enough? Or have we mixed wealth in in our stuff? And that's just as important as our relationship with him. And it would seem that until this church sees, understands, their blindness. There's, there's not a lot of hope for them until they understand that everything that they have been given and until we fully understand everything that we have is because of the grace of God. It's God's grace that you can go and earn money. It's God's grace that we have a roof over our head. It's God's grace that we woke up um, in, 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 a, um, in a bed. It's God's grace uh, that, that we drove here in, in cars with air conditioning. At the very least, every Christian that walks the earth should live a life of complete gratitude for what God has done. No matter where you are on the socioeconomic scale, if Christ, God, Spirit is enough, then it should be enough and everything else is gravy. Everything else is meatballs on top of the spaghetti. there's hope. There's always hope. That's the beauty of of God. There's always hope. There's hope for this church. There's hope for us. There's hope for the church in this building. And and Jesus, he's going to, he's going to tell, he's going to call them out. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. And so Jesus is going after the, uh, uh, the golden calves of the church. The banking industry. The gold and the silver that they were collecting. Jesus said, you know, you're focusing on the wrong wealth. 
You need spiritual wealth. Jesus would teach, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy. He's telling them here, you're focused on the wrong thing. Look for a spiritual gold that has been refined by fire, fire of, of the Spirit, because that's true wealth. And wear, wear clothes, white clothes, which is in direct contrast to the color of the wool that the sheep were producing, that it was, it was black and rich and lush. And white, when, when the saints are dressed in white, in a white robe, it's a symbol of our forgiveness before God, that we have been reconciled back to him because of the cross, because of what Jesus did. And so we stand with these white clothes. Jesus tells them, man, you guys got to repent. You got to seek forgiveness. You got to clean up. Come to me if you're weary and I will give you rest. I will clean you up. Put on these clothes. Embrace my forgiveness. It says that the church, it, it was spiritually naked. And, and nakedness in the ancient world was a sign of judgment and humiliation. If you couldn't wear clothes, if you didn't have clothes, you were under judgment from whatever God you believed in. And it was a, a, uh, a cultural, societal humiliation that was kind of tagged on you. And so Jesus is seeing this church. He is judging them. Jesus is seeing this church and saying, you, you live humiliated in the kingdom of God because of how you live your lives, because you've put all of this stuff before me and you put me back here, because you offer no spiritual refreshment to those who are coming in your doors, because you offer no spiritual healing for those who are broken and in need of it. Clothe yourselves with, with whites. And the only way this is going to happen is if they put on some type of uh, spiritual eye salve, that they can heal the eyes of their heart, that they can see exactly what they're doing and they can see exactly what they are not doing. They have been spiritually blinded by wealth and by the, the physical realm. That's all they focused on. Everything was about what I can get, how much wealth I can amass, and they forgot about what the church is supposed to be for the people that are coming through the doors. Jesus said, man, you, you, got, you got to clear up your eyesight because uh, that's the only way you're going to see it. And then when you see it, you need to repent of it. And we know that he is faithful to forgive. forgive. And so it is with us today. It's easy for us to get caught up in the comforts of, of living in the West. Even in a pandemic, I think about, oh my gosh, we were all shut down, but technology allowed us to be connected as best we can. And we had it pretty good. Zoom, FaceTime, phone calls, texting, live streaming. The majority of the world doesn't have that. When they were locked down, they were locked down. And so it's easy for us to get all caught up in the comforts that we have and forget, forget God. That our righteousness and our good fortune isn't our own. It's his given to us. 
think we all need to daily reprioritize our relationship with him by first understanding that everything we have is from him. Whether abundance or want, we still are better than better off than most of the world. That we as a church would be less concerned with ourselves and with our stuff and more concerned about others and storing up treasure in heaven. That the forgiveness that we've been given, that's a grace that's been poured out upon us. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. It comes by grace through faith, by grace through faith. That everyone in this room and those that would watch this morning when you woke up, God poured out a whole fresh bowl of mercy upon your life. And tomorrow he'll do the same thing. And tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Every day that you walk this planet following Christ, he will pour out a fresh bowl of mercy on your life. And those truths should motivate us to live a life with a kingdom focus and not a uh, a self-sufficient, self-arrogant focus. It should motivate us to treat people kind. It should it should churn in us a generosity. It should churn in us a, a, a service mentality for those around us. It, the, the the forgiveness that we have, the grace that's been given, the mercy that's been poured out, should be an outflow of our giftedness to the world. We have been given so, so much, and that should motivate us then to just allow what we've been given to pour out of us into a broken world. This is the church. And I think if, if we're not really living in that way, uh, maybe there's, there's more than two, but there's two uh, things that may be occurring. First of all, it could be that um, you have yet to receive the forgiveness of Christ because you have yet to make him both Savior and Lord. As I've said before, it's easier. It's easy to make Jesus Savior. I mean, yeah, who doesn't want to be saved? We all want to be saved. But Lord, ooh, that's a whole different story. Lord, Lord means that we are focusing on him. We're going to follow him. We're going to understand him. We're going to live by his word. And so maybe if you're not living in this, this outpour of the kingdom out of you, uh, the outpouring of what God has poured into you, uh, maybe you just have yet to come to that place of salvation. Or... Or it could be that we lack understanding about what has been done for us. God sent his son to the cross to be tortured for me, for you, for my sin in the past, for my sin in the present, for my sin in the future. He took it all upon the cross. That's, that's the price that was paid for you. That's the value that you have in the eyes of God. He was willing to sacrifice his son because he wants you back. He wants you in right relationship with him. Jesus saved us from an eternity spent without God. We call that hell. But he also, he saved us from hell 
but he saves us to an abundant life here on earth. And I'm not talking about stuff and things, but I'm talking about living with purpose and passion every single day for the kingdom. I'm talking about seeing where needs are, seeing where people need to be encouraged, seeing where people need to be built up. It's not always about us. It needs to be about them. And when we make it about them, there's something that's ministered to us in that process. We are encouraged. We are lifted up. When you know you're on the right path, there's a, there's a, there's a, skip in your step. There's a joy in your heart. There's a smile on your face. Don't ever let, let me say it this way. Our self-confidence needs to come from knowing exactly who you are in Christ. Knowing exactly who you are in Christ. Beloved, forgiven, empowered, reconciled that you don't just survive this world but there's a God that wants you to thrive in this world and not thrive so you can get but thrive so you can give I pray that we would have eyes opening a little bit more each and every day I pray that the Spirit would uh, open our hearts, that we would, that we would see need and be called and motivated to, um, to meet those needs. That we would be a people that offer spiritual refreshment to those who need it. That we would be a people that would offer spiritual healing to those who need it. I don't want to be spit out of his mouth. And so why don't we just um, and just take a minute and let that sit in, uh, sink in. Is there something that you need to repent from? something that God is tapping on your shoulder saying, man, you're, 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 you're lukewarm in that area. I wish you were either hot or cold. Has there been a grace that's been extended to you for the purpose of you then extending it to others? Has there been a mercy extended to you for the purpose of extending that mercy to others? It says those, in, in, the, in the text, those that uh, what will hear Jesus knocking, he's going to come in and he's going to eat. And in the ancient world, when somebody sat for a meal with someone, um, that means that there was a camaraderie. There was a, a resi- uh, resonating of, of heart and soul that, that yes, you, were, you are my people and I am your person. That's the desire of Christ, that that he wants us to know that we are his and he is ours. And so if you're hearing that knock, open that door. Allow that healing to come in and be built up, strengthened, and moved in in a new way, in a new direction. Don't let today go by 
without allowing the Lord to illuminate what needs to change. And so, Father, uh, what can we say? We are yours. Thank you that in your love, you will call us out. Thank you in your love, you will discipline us. Not to hurt us, not to knock us down, but to build us up so that we can be evidence of your kingdom come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We pray these, all of these things, and we remember Robin, and we remember our country, Lord. We stand before you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen, Mr. Ethan. I love you guys. I'll see you next week.